welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi Good evening everyone on behalf of Center for Work and Welfare Impact and Policy Research Institute I Ritika Gupta Assistant Director at Impri Impact and Policy Research Institute welcome you to Impri #webpolicytalk Today we have gathered here for a panel discussion on budget 2021 for #atmanirbharkrishi towards new india I welcome all the esteemed panelists and participants who are joining us in this deliberation I would now request dr kumar to take this deliberation forward thank you thank you thank you so much ritika and i welcome all of you uh, for this very pertinent panel discussion today organized by impri center for work and welfare uh, the title for today's deliberation is budget 2021 for to, for atmanirbhar krishi towards new india and uh, uh, the, this event would be co moderated by professor vimittal who is a noted senior agricultural economist and we also have such a dis- distinguished panel uh, today uh, and uh, today's uh, deliberation is chaired by dr nilam patel uh, who is senior advisor of agriculture at niti ayog a government of in- india niti ayog is uh, is our government of india's think tank a national institute for transforming india uh, we also have a uh, four very distinguished panelists to give a variety of thoughts uh, to this idea and what should be done towards the budget Uh, to make our agriculture strong uh, so we have uh, with us today professor csc shekhar who is professor at institute of economic growth ieg new delhi which is the premier uh, think tank of the think tank of india we also have dr sp sharma sarji who is chief economist phd chamber of commerce and industry and sir would bring about insights from what industry is seeing uh, how various stakeholders even farmers are looking at this also Uh, we are also delighted to have dr ramesh kishore sir who is research uh, fellow at international food policy research institute ifri uh, sir would also add plethora of what is going in the international domain and other areas and uh, uh, we are also very lucky to have uh, a very young colleague with us mr ranveer nagaich uh, who is public policy consultant economics at niti ayog and uh, ranveer looks into all the data and uh, as a uh, uh, real time hands on with all the policy matters which is going on so uh, once again i welcome you everyone uh, professor vimittal would you like to invite uh, dr nilam patel for her initial remarks so that we can start the proceedings sir vimittal good evening everyone and i'm glad we are having this session here with all the different uh, spokesperson or uh, researchers from different fields from institute of economic growth international perspective from avinash the industry perspective from dr sharma and definitely the government perspective from ranveer and to start with i will invite dr neelam patel to start the session and to uh, to coordinate uh, to chair the session and uh, in between arjun and i will be coming in between to moderate neelam so, ma'am neelam ma'am your opening thank you sir biji thank you dr kumar and basically i am technologist and so i am going to listen lots of data i am having very heavy panel from the economics side and in fact yeah, i would like to start with two or three my remarks 
In fact, in, after the green revolution, we have put our emphasis on to increase the production to achieve the food security. And somehow we have achieved that. But in this achievement, you may be agree that we could not maintain the sustainability. So the, uh, we, when we are used to apply one kg of fertilizer, in the 60s, we used to get 12 kg grain in increase in grain yield. But now, when we are applying one kg of fertilizer, then you are getting only four kg of grain, hence in the grain yield. And as per the uh, recommendations from the agriculture scientists, the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, they should be go in the ratio of four to one. But now this ratio is highly imbalanced. And in the Punjab, you will find sometimes 64, 32 like this. So we are getting only this very unbalanced use of fertilizer, injudicious use of fertilizer. And what is happening that we are deteriorating our soil health and consequently we are deteriorating our groundwater also. And the second thing is that uh, if you see the total production that is coming from our agriculture sector, we are wasting about 30 to 40% in our value chain. So in one time we are making emphasis to enhance the production and the second hand, because of the absence of the cool churn and the, uh, the storage facility at the village level, we are not able to handle those storage, particularly the way it is very much true in the fruits and vegetables. So now here, and the, if you come to the third sector, like the water availability, and in during 60s, we used to have the more than 5,000 cubic meters per capita per year, per year water. And now already our whole country's water is stressed. So we are having about 1500 cubic meter per capita per year. So if one time sustainability is an issue, we have achieved food security, but here if you see the global health index, somehow we are lagging in the nutritional security. So we have to work in a such a manner and the same thing is the challenging is our, with our economist or the policy maker or technocrats that our land holding size is decreasing. And our 86% farmers are belong to small and marginal category. So if you do any technological intervention, these farmers are finding very difficult to use them because of their financial capacity, credit with them. And now because of these things, our youths are moving away from the agriculture. Even though the, there are several schemes to retain the youth in the agriculture, either in the name of the entrepreneurship development, are there these are the different schemes of the different ministries but still we have to do very long way and the this year you are seeing because of this covid this gave us the not only the blessings in disguise that we could start making the art nirbhar and in fact you are seeing in last six or seven months we have made several uh, attempt to bring the art nirbhar in the different sectors so, in fact, uh, with these words, I'm going to listen from you people what you understand what uh, that should be the budget uh, aspects we have to cover in the budget session and what you ask policymakers that that should be involved to develop any policy further. Then your inputs will be very useful for the Niti IO and in the detail, region uh, who is working new technology and understand the country perspective, perspective. Tanvir is here. So he's going to make the presentation. With these words, I would like to inv invite the first panelist. I don't know what is the situation. No problem. Invite. And thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Patel. So without any further ado, let us go to our first panelist. 
to enlighten us with uh, uh, more details. Uh, Professor Shekhar, why don't you go on? Yes. Thank you. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Dr. Arjun. Thank you, Impri, for uh, having me on this panel. It gives me an opportunity to net, I mean, reconnect with many of my friends, Sir V, Dr. Sharma, Avinash, and others. So it's, it's a good opportunity for me. Thank you. Now, uh, <clears throat> first of all, I'll, I'll structure my talk uh, in the following lines. Basically, what are the key issues that uh, Indian agriculture is, uh, is facing and also has been facing for quite some time? Then followed by what has been done in the last budget, which was then followed by this uh, very unusual situation of COVID-19 during which the government has come up with various policy initiatives. Then in the context of those uh, initiatives that have already been taken, what is it that we need to look forward to in this budget? At what are the priorities? This is how I'm going to restructure my talk today. So um, actually, Dr. Patel has rightly uh, highlighted one of the key issues in agriculture, which is sustainability, which, which, which has been uh, an issue. In addition to that, actually, agriculture in India, the key issues in Indian agriculture have been two mainly, the growth and then the farmer's well-being, farmer's income. One is the agricultural growth is one aspect. The other aspect is whether farmers are benefiting from that growth. These are two very important issues. And uh, if you look at that, actually, although the growth has been satisfactory over the years and also even the recent past also, but uh, the uh, farmer's income, uh, that, that has raised certain concerns uh, for policymakers. In fact, to put the thing in perspective, a recent paper by Dr. Ramesh and uh, Niti Ayo, it, it, uh, it brings out that the difference or the disparity between uh, agricultural uh, per capita income in agriculture vis-a-vis -vis that of non-agriculture has gone up from 23,000 to nearly 50,000, from 23,000 in 1993-94 to 50,000 in 1999-2000, uh, which Further, the disparity has further increased to nearly 1.42 lakhs by the end of uh, 2010, the first decade of the new millennium. And it is much higher now. So this, this, this is something that has been a major concern for policymakers. And uh, it is in this context that many uh, programs and schemes have been launched in the last five years by the government. The first day, the main objective or the at least the purported objective was to uh, double the farmer's income in a short span of time, whether they would be able to double or not, but at least the idea is to increase uh, farmer's income. To that end, many schemes like Krishi Sichai Yojana, Fasal Bhima Yojana, in insurance, in marketing, in irrigation, various uh, other uh, uh, aspects of agriculture have been uh, actually addressed in those various programs. So since this discussion is about budget, let me just turn to what, what, what were the initiatives that were announced in the last budget. In the last budget, uh, the finance minister has allocated uh, nearly 2.83 lakh uh, crores for uh, agriculture rural development and the rural development. And she announced a 16 point program to uh, promote or take forward this sector. 
out of those 16 points, I think the crucial ones are three. The first is the cluster-based approach to agriculture, which, which basically looks at the regional specialization of uh, cropping patterns and how to promote such kind of regional uh, uh, specialization. The second is the marketing aspect. Basically, the, the uh, Kisan Rail and uh, Krishi Udan. These two, uh, I thought, were interesting at that stage. I don't know what happened to Krishi Udan, whether it has actually taken off. But uh, Kisan Rail has shown some promise because uh, it, it did work in certain uh, uh, states. And the third is basically to uh, promote farmers to go for solar generation of uh, solar energy in, in, uh, when they have fallow lands or barren lands so that their income can be augmented. Again, that's a moot question. Actually, Avinash and his colleagues have done a lot of work on uh, I think we're having some connection issue. The government has announced a number of uh, stimulus packages over a period of five days. They have announced for various sectors. And one of the key uh, sectors that was addressed uh, was agriculture. And uh, that was on May 15th, if I'm not mistaken, that the finance minister announced a major stimulus package for agriculture. One of the important things that was done there was one nearly one lakh crore uh, uh, fund was uh, set up for creating farm level infrastructure, mainly for post harvest activities, and this is uh, uh, basically intended to benefit the farm producer organizations and other groups of farmers who would, uh, want to take up post processing, uh, post harvest activities, processing activities. And then the second one was related to credit. Actually, uh, two lakh uh, crores were uh, nearly uh, announced, which which would benefit not only the PM Kisan farmers who who are actually uh, cultivating uh, crops, but also to the animal husbandry and fisheries, uh, those who are participating in those sectors also. So this is the second uh, important thing. And uh, there were other. Uh, 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 measures that were announced, among which the recently enacted farm laws and other things were also announced during that time. During the, then uh, they were first brought out as a, an ordinance and then followed it up with a proper uh, enactment of those uh, laws in the parliament. Which are, there's a lot of there's been a lot of debate about those farm laws, which basically. Uh, try to address the issue of agricultural marketing. So given these things, I think uh, what is the scope? I mean, what is what are the areas which still uh, remain unaddressed? And what is the scope for the government? So I think there is one important issue that, that has not got much attention, uh, even after these formulas which, which uh, try to address the marketing, agricultural marketing issue. That is the rural agricultural markets. That is basically the Grameen agricultural markets, village level agricultural markets. There are nearly what are called the Grameen agricultural markets, 
which are also called rural hearts. There are nearly about 22,000 such markets in India. And they're all in a very deplorable state. Now, during in these formulas, recently enacted formulas, the government has created to, uh, tried to create a, an alternate system or give an option to the farmers to sell their produce. Earlier, it used to be only through the APMCs. Now they have given an option outside the APMCs, what they call the trade area, where farmers can sell to any buyer. But even now, the farmers will have to travel a long distance unless the buyers actually come to their uh, point of production. So farmers are still, uh, in a way, uh, handicapped by many of the problems that they used to face earlier. So one uh, important issue that uh, needs to be tackled is to reduce the distance that the farmers have to travel to take their produce. So to that end, actually, these rural huts will be a major advantage. In fact, there was a stand recently, Parliamentary Standing Committee on, uh, on actually reinvigorating these uh, rural agricultural markets. And uh, there are nearly 22,000 of them. But as per Swaminathan Commission, there should be one for every gram panchayat. So there are nearly 2,50,000 gram panchayats in India. So right now we have only 22,000. That is less than 10%. Even if these 10% of the rural markets are really, the infrastructure in those markets is uh, developed and uh, basic facilities are created, then that will go a long way. So I think the government should uh, address this issue in this budget. Although they have done this in 2018-19, they have announced some uh, amount, which was 2,000 crores uh, in 2018-19 budget, not the last budget. But that was very, uh, very small in my view to address this problem, they should. So uh, actually that will also take care of another aspect. The government tried to create this uh, alternative uh, marketing channels for farmers through the farm laws. So creating these rural markets will create, generate further competition and also increase options for the farmers. So this is the first one. Now, uh, the second one is the MSP, Come procurement system has served the country quite well during our major crisis, whether it was 75 world food crisis or the 2008 world food crisis or the recent COVID uh, situation. If we see, uh, we could address many of the issues related to food distribution, mainly because of the stocks that, that we had through this MSP procurement system. So I think this system needs to continue for some time, if not more. And uh, uh, at least for the staple grains, that is uh, wheat, rice, and uh, and also it needs to be uh, extended to pulses if possible. Of course, there are many inefficiencies in distribution and other things. Those need to be addressed. So, that, But for other non-staple commodities, there has to be a different strategy. So this kind of MSP procurement cannot work. Because uh, recently we are doing some exercise in IEG. Institute of Economic Growth, where we actually looked at what are the options. So it, it seems uh, the MSP procurement uh, system cannot be extended to other crops. Although the farmers right now seem to be demanding that kind of a thing, it, it, it's simply not feasible. Because of main logistics, the government simply does not have such storage space. Number two, the fiscal uh, burden will be too high. So the alternative could be to 
now think about moving away from this price support system to slowly income support. That is a direct payment. This economists have been uh, arguing for quite some time, but we have done some estimates which show that this is possible with much lower fiscal outgo for the government. And uh, this can be actually, right now, PM Kisan is trying to do that. There's a, this scheme, PM Kisan, which is uh, which was announced a couple of years ago, which, which is trying to do this. But the uh, assistance that is provided in PM Kisan is, uh, is 6,000 rupees per annum, which is very inadequate. I think the government has to really do a scientific analysis and try to link it to either cost of production in the region or some kind of cost of living so that adequate direct income is provided to farmer and the marginal, so the farmer is not then dependent on, or rather he's not constrained to sell his uh, produce immediately after harvest. And uh, he will not be at the mercy of all these private players who are, uh, who are expected to come in after this enactment of formulas. So MSP come procurement can be for, uh, can continue for staples, but for non-staple and other uh, crops, there needs to be a, a system of direct payments. It needs to be given a serious thought. So that's the second one. And uh, yeah, I think I'll, I'll stop here. And uh, I will take up other issues as they come along in the discussion. Thank you. Right, right. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Professor Shekhar. I also thought, uh, but we can take it further because ENAM was also as a strategy and uh, really rural heart of the market conditions, really rural market. All the foreigners, scholars also come here and, and say that has been really a lag. And I really thought, uh, uh, just to also ask you that, uh, do you what can be a, a, a fiscally sound uh, number for a PM Kisan? Because six thousand, sir, you are also raising that it's less, of course, five hundred per month. Uh, but uh, what can be? Can we see twenty percent, thirty percent increase in this amount? Uh, so anyhow, let us, uh, without wasting any time, go to Dr. S. P. Sharma, sir, uh, to uh, to put his views forward. Dr. S. P. Sharma, please. Sir, you are on mute. Yes, please, sir. Thank you, Arjunji, Dr. Arjun, and uh, all the panelists, and uh, my uh, friends, my colleagues, uh, uh, Professor C.S.C. Shekhar from Institute of Economic Growth, and uh, 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 professors from the other areas, from Niti Aayog. So, very good evening to all of you. Uh, though I am not uh, an expert in the agriculture, area because I am representing industry body, uh, PhD Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Um, but we have strong linkages with the agriculture uh, producers and the agriculture markets because uh, fortunately I belong to uh, the most dominating state, uh, uh, Punjab. So uh, I, I had my livelihood with the, and my childhood with the uh, agriculturist in the Patiala uh, district of Punjab. So uh, I know little things about the uh, nitty-gritties uh, of the agriculture produce and uh, in the industry body I am discussing so many issues with the agriculture committee, members of the agriculture committee. So firstly I would like to mention two three major strengths of the agriculture sector, why the agriculture sector is so important for the Indian economy because firstly as everybody knows that agriculture sector is the main source to generate demand in the economy. 
and and uh, all we see that 50% more than 50% of the population is still dependent on the agriculture sector so a large chunk of demand is coming from the agriculture sector so health of the agriculture sector is very very important to generate demand and to generate uh, and enhance the trajectory of manufacturing sector and the services sector and the overall economic growth in the country so agriculture sector is the base of all the other associated sectors in the economic system of india and second agriculture sector is i believe one of the or the most resilient sector of the indian economy as which is evident from the pandemic covid 19 that during the first half agriculture sector grew at the rate of 3.4% on an average and uh, and the contribution of agriculture sector at constant prices were more than 27000 crores in the uh, incremental gdp yoy so so agriculture sector provided at constant prices more than 27000 crores and at current prices i believe more than 80000 crores uh, was the contribution of agriculture sector in the incremental gdp yoy so uh, sector sector has its uh, resilience and uh, significance in the indian economy that is Uh, evident from this very very difficult time of the last hundred years, and third is sector is export oriented. Now the exports of agriculture sector are are more than many promising sectors of the Indian economy, even more than many promising sectors of the manufacturing, more than the software exports also. So uh, this is this is export oriented sector, and uh, we have good opportunity to explore the export opportunity in the uh, foreign markets. i was going through some data that there are more than 1300 billion imports of the agri and food products but our contribution is still at around 35 to 40 billion dollar which is i believe 0.5% of the total global imports so i believe we have good opportunity to increase the trajectory of our exports in the global markets and easily in the next very few years we can achieve a size of us dollar 100 billion Uh, with the uh, uh, efforts of the government and uh, on the back of various reforms undertaken by the government during the last 5 6 years so export trajectory is very very promising and very very intact and uh, that has been proved during the uh, most difficult time of the pandemic uh, corona covid 19 and uh, what we need in this sector firstly the agri infrastructure is not that much strong that is that must be at the forefront of the agenda of uh, uh, not only of the central government but of the state governments also because this is sector is not providing the support to the overall indian economy but the sector is also a major growth driver of many of the states like in northern states punjab haryana and parts of up and other states are majorly driven by the agriculture sector but the sector is impacted by poor agriculture infrastructure and the high logistic cost though we say that 14% of the logistic cost are in india 14% but this this 14% is not true for the agriculture sector in the agriculture sector the logistic cost is more than i believe 20% i was discussing um, uh, with my friends in punjab that how they uh, transport their uh, agriculture produce and then i calculated the transportation cost Uh, from the mouth of uh, uh, horses in punjab those, those who are the big uh, producers they say 20% is the transportation cost if you uh, uh, carry our producers from here to there 
So, like the kinus, if they are selling um, uh, kinus of uh, worth of one lakh rupees, then the twenty thousand is the transportation cost to move the kinus from one place to another place, which is uh, a mandi or the sellable point. So, uh, uh, this the logistic cost is also very very high uh, in the agriculture sector, which is not at part the 14% of the GDP. This is more than 14%. This is at around 18 to 20% on an average for the agriculture sector. So we have to reduce the this logistic cost with the increased, uh, increased level of agriculture infrastructure. So this will come from the public investments in agriculture. I, I was going through the numbers that uh, gross capital formation was earlier 20% of the total gross capital formation in India. Uh, in the agriculture sector but, sector, but now this is less than 10-11%, if I am not wrong. So uh, this has reduced significantly during the last uh, uh, many years, not only during the last uh, five, six years, but since the last uh, 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 Lehman crisis. After the Lehman crisis, there is a significant reduction in the uh, gross capital formation as as percent of the gross total gross capital formation in the Indian economy so this is a major factor that public investment should be increased that because why the private investment is not coming because the infrastructure is not good firstly we have to provide the public infrastructure then the private sector will be attracted so that will not uh, uh, that that we are uh, uh, that will not come in isolation that we, are, we we say that agriculture sector is very promising and you invest in the agriculture sector nobody is going to invest in the agriculture sector until unless there is a strong public infrastructure which is uh, to provide the connectivity of the rural roads, um, good mandis, and the uh, good know-how for the cold storage and all these associated activities, uh, which are at the micro level or at the uh, block level and the sea level and the district level. And and the uh, other constraint is the wastages. The wastages are significantly high. If we reduce the wastages, I believe uh, there will be a strong boost to the Indian economy, wastages are on rough estimates are more than 30%, though there is no uh, concrete data available uh, uh, year on year that how the wastages are going up and down. Um, but uh, figures say that uh, 30 to 35% is the wastage in the agriculture produced. So if you reduce this wastage from 30 to 35% to the level of 10, 10 to 15%, I believe that will significantly enhance the income of farmers. And also, uh, control the supply side problems in the economy and uh, uh, and uh, uh, our objective that we have to increase the income of farmers. I believe if the 35% waste is reduced to the level of 10%, I believe 25% uh, saving of the uh, wastage to the farmers, I believe can enhance the income trajectory significantly in the uh, coming times. So we, uh, during the budget, we have suggested to the government and that there must be more and more focus on the direct transfers instead of uh, uh, the subsidies uh, because these are beneficial for the uh, uh, to, re to, to reduce the uh, mid-level uh, distributions. And, and second, uh, we have suggested that there must be strong focus on the farm in infrastructure increased with the increased public sector, uh, public investments. Uh, to attract the more and more private investments in the uh, system. And third, I believe the most uh, important and most strong factor is the awareness about the policy environment in the at the ground level, because what 
what is happening now in our periphery at the borders is majorly because of the uh, lack of full awareness or information at the ground level. Uh, sometimes the policies are not that much uh, wisely interpreted and uh, there is some confusion or misinterpretation of the uh, policies. So I believe uh, more direct connectivity with the farmers is required. If, if somebody, if some policy framework is going to happen in uh, capital or uh, in, in some organization, I think that must be more and more connected with the micro level at the ground level, like in, in industry. If, if the government is signing a free trade agreement or any uh, major policy formulation like the new industrial policy or the new foreign trade policy, then they invite many times the industry people to discuss and to provide suggestions. And uh, there are so many meetings before any policy formulation. So in the, that manner, uh, I believe there must be more and more connectivity uh, through some channel with the farmers so that uh, actual outcomes are considered and uh, and uh, framed uh, uh, without any without any misunderstanding and without any misconception in at the ground level so uh, more and more policy awareness is also required in the farm segment because this is the uh, significant segment which is going to boost the trajectory of the indian economy to become nirbhar and to achieve a size of us dollar 5 trillion in the next uh, 5 6 years so uh, again, we have suggested that there must be more and more focus on the uh, global supply chains because we have a good uh, farm produce and we are uh, producing at the record levels year after year. So to capitalize on the farm produce and to uh, increase our presence in the global market, uh, we have to in, uh, study this and to provide a good policy framework to increase the exports in the uh, farm markets and to create more and more employment opportunities in the food processing sector because this sector can be a major growth driver and i think in my philosophy this is the next it sector of the indian economy that can create a good boom for the uh, growing young population and this sector can become more and more lucrative uh, not only to uh, increase employment but also to increase the kitty of the foreign exchange with the increased number of uh, exports so this is my uh, brief nutshell about the uh, farm sector, though I am not a, a great uh, expert in the farm area, but I have uh, uh, collected and gathered this information from my various interactions with the, uh, uh, with the uh, members of the PSD Chamber of Agriculture Committee and my direct linkages with the farmers of uh, Punjab and Haryana. Thank you very much. Thank so you. Looking forward to... The more and more inputs. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sharma. Really, infrastructure has been uh, the gap and uh, private sector really not attracting. Uh, that has been one of the issues. But there are also regional components. And, sir, rightly you mentioned the push Atmirbhar Krishi infrastructure fund of also 1 lakh crore that also came in place. And food processing industry, we also have so many of evergreen a mission also our government has started also for eastern part of our country and uh, so many things and uh, uh, i would also uh, like also thank you for touching on this part of capital formation and savings because that has been this issue of farmer suicide time and again so that is really at micro and macro level as we compare us to china or any other country so uh, uh, we are very glad that you also raised that point. Uh, uh, so uh, now uh, we should uh, go to Dr. Avinash Kishore to enlighten us more on this subject. Avinash, sir. Sir, yeah, please, yes. 
Unmute. Thanks a lot, Arjun, and thanks everyone else for the opportunity. A lot of important points that I, I would have liked to mention, Shikhar and uh, Dr. Sharma mentioned. I'm really happy that Dr. Sharma brought uh, up the issue of trade because I think that's one missing link when we talk about uh, India's food economy. Uh, we don't talk enough about trade. Um, if you go to our East Asian neighbors, uh, they're far more trade oriented than we are. A uh, second point that I want to make related to that is that when we talk about trade, and this is true for our scientists, economists, policymakers, we only want to export food. We don't want to import food. That doesn't work. Art Nirbhar uh, means uh, self-dependent, that Indian agriculture, at least in producing enough food for the population at affordable prices has more or less been, right? So Art Nirbhar doesn't mean, and I just want to underline this, it doesn't mean that we start producing everything we need for ourselves within the borders of our country. I think if you want to, first thing, if you want to double farmer's income, it is not going to be possible by 2023, same way as uh, raising GDP to uh, 5 trillion is not going to be possible by 2023 or whatever the goal was set. Um, so let's forget those uh, impossible goals for the moment. Let's be realistic. And uh, my point is whenever, even say we want to double farmer's income in real terms by 2030, it cannot happen unless uh, we start increasing our exports and start increasing it at a rapid pace. Even non-ag economy of India grew at eight to 9% only when we started exporting a lot more than we used to, right? And uh, the economic slowdown has happened with slowdown in exports. So exports will be important, but you cannot go on increasing your exports if your imports do not increase. It's just trade theory. Talk to anyone who is an expert of trade will tell you exports cannot grow if imports are not growing, especially the modern economy. A lot of exports are actually exports, et cetera. So my first point is Atmanirbhar doesn't mean that we start growing everything within. And to that point, I would like to bring up China, okay? So, and why I would bring up, China, I want to bring up China is that China is one country that is kind of comparable to India. Even if you look at its GDP is five times uh, larger than ours, but if you look at the agriculture, it's more comparable. So China has as large a population as us to feed 1.4 billion. Uh, it has somewhat less uh, net zone area or gross cropped area. Our net zone area is 150, 160 million hectares. They have 120. Our gross cropped area is around 200 million hectares, 196 or something. Theirs is around 160, 170 uh, million hectares. So comparable size. And we always talk about how a smallholder needs to be consolidated, need to be aggregated. Uh, yes and no. If you look at average holding size in China, it's much smaller than India. Our average holding size at national level is about a hectare. Theirs is 0.6 hectares. They have far more farmers than we do. They have 200 million holdings for 160, 120 million hectares. We have around uh, 150 million hectare, uh, holdings uh, for, for 160 uh, million hectares. Then. So it's comparable in size, comparable in uh, at least the natural endowments, we might even be better. We are actually better. When it comes to their ag GDP, China is almost three times larger, 2.5 to three times. So ours is around $400 uh, billion. Theirs would be around one to $1.2 trillion, depending on what numbers you look at. So, but if you look at the export import, so, so clearly per hectare of land, per farmer, Chinese agriculture is producing more, right? In terms of value also. But it doesn't mean that China is producing everything itself. Actually, China is a huge net importer of food. It's one of the world's largest buyers of food in the global market. 
So China's exports are around $70 billion. Last year, if you look at the data, this year it would be different. Its imports are $140 billion, okay? If you come look at India, our imports are around $20 billion, 18, 18 to $20 billion. Our exports are $34, $35 billion. We are net exporters. China is a huge net importer, okay? So the fact that uh, what, what I'm uh, trying to say is that having a more open food trade regime. By that, I don't mean zero duties or signing RCEP or those things. No, what the, my point is that having a more open food trade doesn't mean that we become less Atmanirbhar. Having more open trade means or expanding our trade, which would mean more expansion in imports and exports, more exports than imports, I would think, would mean that we become, we have food at more wider variety of food available possibly at cheaper prices, our farmers earn more and our food systems and value, value chains become more efficient. Uh, they, they become the global quality. So I think as the traditional Sanskrit meaning of Atmanirbhar or Hindi meaning, I think more than that, that we have been, we are the, one of the larger exporters of food uh, in some sense. What we mean, I think the slogan should be globally competitive agriculture. We want Atmanirbhar Kisan like self-dependent farmer who can earn a decent living from his agriculture and associated activities. And we want a globally competitive agriculture. Atmanirbhar in the traditional sense where you draw all your sustenance from your own resources, um, I don't think is a, is a worthy goal to follow uh, in the traditional sense of the meaning. I'm not saying that's the meaning that government is taking. Government has a broader meaning of Atmanirbhar. I think it's the people down below who are, who are, who are, mean, who are almost interpreting as, it as a closed economy. Okay, so with that out of the way, uh, I just think that we need uh, to open our trade. What we need to do, I agree with Dr. Sharma that we have a lot of capacity to expand our trade uh, exports, even if I ignore uh, the imports for matter. So here again, I'll compare with China. So if you look at India's endowments, what's great about India? We are very rich in labor and we have a rich skills. We are rich in skills. We have a large number of educated people, et cetera, and skilled people, even those who are not educated. We are short on land given our population and we're short on water as Dr. Patel earlier mentioned. If you look at our export portfolio, it looks quite the opposite. What is our largest export? Rice. Huh? If I would exclude basmati because it's high value, but regular rice export, you are exporting water, it's, it's land. So what we should be doing is we should be exporting what is labor intensive and skill intensive and importing more of what is land intensive and water intensive. We have it the opposite. Right? Our biggest export is rice. Somewhere down the line in our top five exports in recent years has also been sugar. Both grown mostly for export in water scarce region. Chhattisgarh would be an exception for rice. It is a source of a lot of this. That if you compare China, what does China do? Imports a lot of land intensive and water intensive products like soybean and grains, etc. Exports a lot of skill intensive and value high value uh, things like fish which is their biggest export, export can become our big ex biggest export too. So there too, I think there is, there is a value in following it. So instead of, we should focus not only on expanding our export, but also on what is it that we want to export more of. And I would argue that that should be, uh, of course, fisheries where we have done very well. It's the second largest exporter after rice. Third is uh, bovine meat, which we were doing really well and was well on its way to become our leading exports build the policy environment change. I think we should get back onto that bandwagon. It will be good for our dairy farmers. It will be good for our environment. 
it'll be good for our economy. Plus other things, fruits and vegetables and um, other high value products that we can uh, export, okay? So we should export what is labor and uh, skill intensive, which is high value. We should import what is water intensive at, at the least and other things too, okay? So that's what. Now coming to the budget uh, budgetary side of the uh, argument. Uh, so I, I, I do not, even as Dr. Sharma, even before our informal chat, he was talking about this year we'll have fiscal constraints and I do not expect uh, the government to expand ag budget uh, too much. It's, it's restricted. But there are two or three things that I would argue from. One of them uh, actually is self-serving. One is if you look at the budget, growth requires investment as Dr. Sharma um, was uh, enunciating before me. But you would know that investment alone cannot get you growth. Very soon, uh, diminishing marginal returns set in. We know from the modern growth theory that apart from investments, if you want to have persistent growth, which we will, you also need innovation. And where does innovation come from? Innovation comes from R&D, research and development, okay? First thing that I would recommend the, this government is to increase the R&D budget uh, for ag sector uh, in this budget. If you look at India's agriculture R&D budget, it has been around one, $1.5 billion for, for in the real terms for a very, very long time. If you actually account for the effects of inflation and the pay hikes uh, that happened hours after seventh pay commission, the operating budget that ICAR and SAUs, State Agriculture University, may even have shrunk. I don't know for the, uh, that for sure, but that's my guess, that a lot of this budget is only covering scientist salary, which we must cover, but we need more budget. China's ag, uh, uh, research budget is almost five to six times larger than ours, okay? So we need expansion in our R&D for a lot of things that, that need to happen, a lot of innovations that that would be the first. And every single piece of research, wherever people have looked at returns uh, to investment in agriculture, different aspects of agriculture, every one of them, independent pieces of research come back with R&D having the highest returns on investment, more than even roads, you won't believe it, or water. Roads and water are incredibly important. I'm not saying they're like, but this one gives the returns sometimes can be 12 to one or up to 24 to one, depending on where it is. The second sub point that I want to raise there is that if you look at, if you split the budget of let's say ICAR for that, um, you look at bulk of its budget goes to uh, food grain uh, research. While livestock and fruits and vegetables, if you talk to DDG horticulture in um, uh, ICAR, he will tell you. So the livestock and food, uh, uh, fruits and vegetables, they generate two thirds of our value of agriculture. They do not get uh, the commensurate investment. So one, increase the investment. Two, um, a lot less investment where the returns to it would be the high. Okay, so th those are first. Second is I want to come back to trade, partly because it's not talked. I think um, no one would argue that we should have a free trade regime. No, we shouldn't. Because our competitors in the world subsidize their agriculture even more. If we have an open or free trade regime, our farmers won't be able to come. But what is needed is a consistent and predictable trade policy. What we do year after year, it's not just this government or previous government, it has been since the beginning, huh? is that we are extremely ad hoc in trade policy. So a farmer grows onion knowing, expecting certain market. As soon as onion prices grow up even by five, 10%, and this happened even after the Essential Commodities Act Amendment was passed. Onion prices hadn't even started to rise that government uh, imposed export ban. Similarly, milk prices after staying low had started just rising a little bit that we opened up the trade a little bit, imports a little bit. I'm not saying don't do those things, 
what my argument is, what my you know submission to to the government would be to make it more consistent and predictive. So just as we announced minimum support prices at the time of sowing, maybe announce that this would be our trade policy, export and import during this uh, crop cycle. And unless price breaks a certain circuit down or up, we won't change export or import policy. Have at least that kind of predictability so that your farmers are assured that what the price policy is going to be or export import policy is going to be. And your trade partners also know what to expect from India's uh, policy. Otherwise, it creates problem. We do it to protect the short-term interest of consumers without realizing, which is kind of amusing that we haven't realized it in so many years, that whatever hurts farmers today ends up hurting consumers tomorrow. Because then farmers roll back area, product, production goes down, and next year the prices are high. Our trade partners also do not grow for us because they never know what we, our trade policy would be. And we have what we had for pulses in 2015, 16. Prices going up to 200 <coughs> rupees a kilo. So, so that's uh, the second. The third point, again, this is for trade, but also for our own thing, is uh, Dr. Sharma alluded to it, the value chain losses. I think more than value chain losses, to some extent, we are hurt. So for example, fruits and vegetables and those other things, you'll see our share in the global trade is very small. Thailand is all much smaller countries, almost as big as us, maybe even bigger. I haven't looked at the recent numbers. One of the reasons where we, we, we flounder is that, um, the food safety and food quality. And COVID-19 has underlined for everyone in the world how important those are. So I think that's there again. One, we need to invest more in improving food safety, food quality at production, consumption, and even disposal. Uh, second is I think opening our um, food systems to export, encouraging exports, linking it to world markets can improve quality, not only for the export subsegment of that commodity, but can have a spillover benefits for even domestic consumers. And our farmers, look at fisheries. India exports, India is the fifth largest exporter of fisheries. Norway, China, there are the three or four other countries uh, that, that are ahead of us. Uh, but a lot of India's fish is go, goes to other developed countries, EU and the US, et cetera. And the, after initial shocks, we could raise our game. Our fish producers could raise the game where it's antibiotic free and, and other free trade, uh, even trace elements are not there, et cetera. So if we link to the export markets, our farmers and our companies, uh, our, our agribusiness firms have shown the capacity that they can supply to the, uh, to the most sophisticated market, most finicky markets, I should say, not sophisticated. So I think that's something that COVID has underlined the need to invest there. And I think there should be uh, higher. The last point that I would say, and this cannot be resolved in this budget and the current um, partner is like over the years, China's, again, coming back to China, China's ag economy is 1 trillion, 1.2, ours is 400 billion. But in expenditure and investment is almost similar, around $40 billion, both countries uh, invest plus minus. I'm not counting state subsidies in this, in, in India. I think one of the reasons that investments, capital formation that Dr. Sharma was referring to has been going down is our expenditure and investment keeps going up. Even the PM Kisan, all of us want our subsidies from price distorting subsidies to shift to non-price distortionary subsidy, maybe cash transfer or, or income support, et cetera. But all of the cash transfer schemes have come without any changes or big changes in the price distortionary uh, subsidies like on fertilizer and electricity. Those are the two biggest ones right now, followed by MSP procurement. So, so there should be a long-term arrangement. We should increase our farm subsidies. 
Every rich country does that, and even China, as it grew richer during Mao's time and early period of Deng, it used to tax farmers. Now it subsidizes them, right? So every country, and as we grow rich, we will have to do it too to ensure that agriculture is viable. We need a viable agriculture for strategic, but also other reasons. But we need to do it in a different way. It won't be a problem. It is not a problem that can be solved in one budget. I think there has to be a bargain between the governments, state and central, and uh, and uh, and the farmers. I don't know exactly how it will be done, but we have a popular prime minister and a, and a popular um, alliance in the, in power in, in the parliament. I think if anyone can do it, they can uh, probably pull it off. And slowly, without reducing the total subsidy allocation, total subsidy allocation maybe even increase, should increase as our budgets increase. We need to change the nature of subsidy and strike a better balance between capital formation in agriculture and subsidy support to farmers so that they can have a decent living. So I think this is a, this is a grand bargain that we have to strike if I, we want our agriculture to ever reach like a one trillion, let's say by 2030, it has to reach a one trillion dollar size. I will stop here. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Kishore, for really highlighting and globally competitive agriculture sector. We should really look forward to Sherry's highlighting and also R&D. In terms of what Sir also really highlighted, the uh, the the quality aspect of on in the value chain very important because in a lot of procurement we don't have metrics or to see and that uh, even in now in in private contracts also uh, uh, not even about public also have limitation public sector uh, in private contracts also that is coming as something uh, in in recent past we have seen and uh, uh, in terms of trade and infrastructure also we have national infrastructure pipeline of one crore crore so many investment happening. But uh, one point from China's experience also, uh, what I think Dr. Kishore really highlighted that our policy also have to be uh, uh, consistent, predictable, uh, in line with, uh, but why also not in agriculture because other sectors are having. So our macroeconomic policy also here, uh, agriculture and trade has to be uh, consistent, predictable. Uh, so many uh, good points. So uh, let us now move to uh, uh, Ranveer who is, uh, will give some of the perspective from what government is trying to do and what are the initiative uh, for the year ahead. Ranveer, over to you. Thank you. I'm just going to share my screen quickly. Um, yes, we started then. So can everyone see my screen now? Yes, Ranveer. Yes, please go ahead. So yeah, so just to going ahead, thank you everyone uh, for giving me this chance to speak here. And a lot of the points have already been made, particularly in regard to exports, increasing productivity, bringing in sustainability. So I'm just trying, this first slide just talks about Atmanibar Krishi preparing our farmers for new challenges. So one of the big challenges that we're facing ahead is going to be climate change. So there's been a lot of research going on and you know, they, it's expected that climate change is gonna impact crop yields and food security going ahead. And also water stress, it was mentioned that sustainability, a lot of groundwater is being extracted and a lot of our districts are water stress. So water availability, which, which is a critical input for agriculture, we're facing stress uh, in multiple areas there. And related to that then is soil health. I think Neelam Ma'am had mentioned the lopsided use of fertilizers, which is leading to degraded soil health, which is also going to impact productivity going forward. So the key challenge really is to raise productivity because our population is going to keep growing. The demand for food is going to keep growing. So the key challenge now 
for India in agriculture is at least to maintain our productivity growth levels while also bringing in an element of sustainability. And at the same time, production at the production level, we see that a lot of consumer demands are also changing. Consumer demands are shifting. Consumers want food that is traceable. They want quality food. They want nutritious food. And our farmers may not necessarily be prepared to gear, be prepared to face this changing demand. So we need to promote diversification at the farm level of produce as well. So these are some of the key areas that going ahead are going to impact agriculture. So now the next slide I'm talking about is what the policy levers we have at play. So in income support, all the panelists have talked about PM Kisan. So, so far about 11 and a half crore beneficiaries have received transfers and rupees 1.1 lakh crores has been transferred to them since the scheme has been initiated. Then for irrigation, we have the PMKSY. So even now, after about 50, 70 odd years of independence, only 47% of our net zone area is still covered by irrigation. And at the same time, our water use efficiency in agriculture is amongst the lowest in the world. Hello. So this means that you know, uh, water use efficiency also needs to improve while at the same time, we need to improve access to irrigation as well. For crop insurance, we have the PMFBY scheme. And now moving on to the marketing side, we introduced the ENAM scheme. So about 1000 Mondays have been connected to ENAM. But at the same time, states need to accelerate the process of issuing unified trading licenses. So what this unified trading license would enable one trader to trade in any Monday in the state that is connected to ENAM, rather than applying for an umpteen number of trading licenses, which again adds to the fragmentation of markets that we've witnessed so far. Then there's also policy thrust by the government towards farmer produce organizations. So the target is to have 10,000 farmer produce organizations up and running in the next few years. So the benefit of aggregating farmers through FPOs is that it's much easier. It gives them greater bargaining power. It allows them, allows uh, training and extension services to be carried out more efficiently and they can focus on certain crops, connect with food processing and export markets. Now, again, as we know, MSP and public procurement has been in the news lately. So PM Asha is one such scheme that supports MSP-based procurement and also ensures MSP for farmers. So it has three components, which is the price support scheme, price deficiency payment scheme, and uh, the private procurement and stockist scheme is in a pilot stage as well. So what these price support scheme is when the government enters into markets such as pulses, NAFED, or through the SFAC, it procures pulses or other oil seeds, for example, at MSP, and also then gradually releases them back into the markets if prices are spiking as well. Price deficiency payments, they were piloted in Madhya Pradesh initially, where farmers were given the difference between the market price and the announced MSP. And the private procurement and stock scheme is another pilot scheme that has been going on for about two years now, where the government partners with private agencies to procure at MSP and the agent, private agencies are given a small commission. This is still in pilot stage and only been allowed for oil seeds as of now. And throughout, other than that, we have a huge direct benefit transfer network that is already underway. So we have about 316 schemes across 51 ministries that are undertaking direct benefit transfers. And in agriculture, there are pilots on DBT and fertilizers also underway. So we expect a lot of efficiencies to come in 
if DBT in fertilizers are popularized further and extended further. Now, moving on, last year, we had a lot of announcements relating to Atmanirbhar Bharat and in particular to agriculture. So the first were in terms of market access. So we all have seen and read the three new farm bills that have been passed. These were primarily aimed at improving market access to farmers, giving them more choice as to where and they can sell their produce, enter into uh, farming agreements, contract farming with corporates, also with exporters and the Essential Commodities Act was also amended so that it could only be implemented in times of extraordinary price rises and other definitions which have been included in the act itself. And another important scheme that was announced was the production linked incentive scheme for food processing. So in the manufacturing sector, a lot of these schemes have come up and in mobile manufacturing, especially we've seen a lot of traction. So basically rather than subsidizing inputs as we have in the past in manufacturing, we are now subsidized, we are now incentivizing outputs. So these schemes envisage a four to 6% average incentive on incremental production. So these will also see food processing industries grow in India, which in turn, the raw material comes from the agri sector. So we expect growth to come from there as well. And finally, on infrastructure, there was a lot of people have mentioned the agri infrastructure fund, rupees one lakh crores, which works towards developing farm gate infrastructure, which is quite important. And especially in terms of exports, a lot of the experts here, they mentioned exports. So our share in world exports stands at about two, two and a half percent. And this is despite us being one of the largest producers of let's say cereals, fruits, vegetables, milk, across a range of commodities. Granted a lot, large part is consumed within our market as well, but there is a lot of untapped potential in agriculture exports and also in food processing, as I'd mentioned earlier. So, and again, to promote diversification, the PM Matsi Sampada Yojana for Fisheries was announced. There was an animal husbandry infrastructure development fund, and then to diversify sources of farm incomes, there was a focus on herbal cultivation. There was an announcement on beekeeping and also the extension of Operation TOP, which is tomatoes, onion, and potatoes to total extended to all horticultural commodities where subsidies are provided for transport and storage and so on. So again, in enabling market access, rural infrastructure and connectivity will be crucial. So the PMGSY, which is the Pradhan Mantri Gram Sadak Yojana phase three is now being implemented. So that's going to happen from till about 2024, 25. So this scheme it envisages that the consolidation of major routes that have come up during the earlier phases of PMGSY and connecting rural habitations to grams, as was mentioned earlier, and also to schools and hospitals. So we expect PMGSY3 is going to play a huge role in enabling market access, bringing markets closer to farmers through better road linkages. Pradhan Mantri Avasi Yojana, again, it's a good indicator of rural employment. It generates employment. And we've seen that we are on target to actually complete our uh, 2.95 crore houses by March 22, when India celebrates 75 years of independence. And this again converges various schemes and to provide people with a working toilet through the Swachh Bharat mission, a functional tap water connection and a functional LPG connection. And more importantly, finally, the PM Vani scheme that has been launched earlier where public Wi-Fi networks will be created through public data offices. This will be also crucial in bringing the benefits of the shared economy to rural India. 
while the while urban India has seen a lot of benefits from the shared economy, we've seen a lot of companies such as Uber, Ola, all these come up. These are all based on the shared economy. And we need to bring these benefits of the shared economy to agriculture. So just as a small example, we can take mechanization, for example. I mean, it was mentioned earlier that our small land holdings, they constrain private uh, investment in agriculture because low levels of marketable surplus and high fixed costs of investments. So it doesn't make sense for farmers to invest high amounts in mechanization, for example. But if we can bring the benefits of the shared economy, let's say like how someone has put it, called it the Uberization of agriculture, where on demand you have agriculture machinery and implements made available to farmers. So what this would change their capex to a to revenue expenditure almost so. That is one avenue, for example. So, and now I just wanna to quickly touch upon some of Niti Aayog's major initiatives in the past year. So I had mentioned sustainability. So Niti Aayog has actually been taking the lead in the promotion of natural farming, which is a chemical free farming method and that relies on locally sourced inputs. So some states of Andhra Pradesh and Himachal Pradesh are leading the way. And the initial results have been promising in improving soil health and promoting water use efficiency. Sorry, there's a, it got cut off there. And the scientific validation of practices is also being undertaken at large scale so that these practices can be documented and adapted to the rest of India. And Niti Aayog is closely working with state agricultural universities, research institutes, and other international organizations in getting this off the ground. And similarly, Niti Aayog has also been doing a lot of work in agri-tech. So this is an interesting avenue for growth and the twin goals of maintaining sustainability while improving productivity. I feel agri-tech has a huge role to play in this regard. And this would leverage the enhanced digital connectivity that we have seen over the past few years through the Digital India Mission, through the PM Mani scheme, through the creation of a farmer database. Now, for example, PM Kisan, we have a database of over 11 crore farmers. And that is something definitely that can be built on. And if we include other data sources like we can add satellite data to this, we can add land records to this data, soil health card data to create a platform, which the idea which we call the Krishi Neve or AgriStack, where Niti Aayog, we worked with a set of private sector players and tech companies. So we work with the likes of ITC, Amul, and tech partners such as Amazon and Microsoft, and other startups such as Milk Mantra and Agnext, who are doing a lot of good work. and. So what we found was that a lot of agri-tech initiatives do exist in India. I think the number above 500 or so, but the problem is that they lack scale and a wide scale adoption by farmers. And what was discussed by the participants and the groups and in, we all, the group also presented their idea to the honorable prime minister that we needed this interoperable platform, which would be an open standard and where the private sector could build digital solutions such as price prediction models. That is something Niti Aayog is working on independently with Microsoft. And it's also part of the pilots of this AgriStack where people use advanced technologies such as machine learning and artificial intelligence to devise price prediction models, which can then be disseminated to farmers at the time of sowing so that they can, or harvesting so they can plan their investments out. And similarly, blockchain for quality certification and traceability is an avenue where we should be focusing on in the coming years. Because increasingly, even in exports, especially in exports, 
people are demanding traceable products, especially if it's organic, you want it to be traceable right down to the farm from where it came. So bringing in these elements are, will be critical in increasing our exports as well, because if we can get a blockchain up for quality, a public blockchain up for quality certification and traceability, it'll go a long way in improving our exports position. So finally, some of the priority areas for budget that I want to talk about. So we've talked about investments in agriculture. People have talked about the cold chain. But what I also need, want to mention is that investments in human resources for agriculture. So our extension services really need to be made market-oriented and focus on post-harvest management. So while writing the strategy for a new India document, while interacting with stakeholders, what we found was that India's exports they have witnessed higher degrees of rejection from developed markets than other countries such as Vietnam or Thailand or other Southeast Asian countries. The primary reason was maybe in fruits and vegetables was high pesticide residue, the presence of fruit flies and other such things, things crop up. So interventions at the farm level are quite critical in meeting these quality standards that uh, are set abroad and in developed markets. So they are very stringent guidelines. So we need to invest in human resources and extension services, make them more market-oriented, how that, and to develop our base of quality products. And also then we need to connect these quality products to an efficient end-to-end -end cold chain. So the Agri-Infrastructure Fund targets farm gate infrastructure, but there still remain large gaps in cold chain availability across states, refrigerated vehicles, back houses, which can be developed in PPP mode. So last year, for example, we had the Kisan Rail and Krishi Udan scheme that was announced. So I think in this budget, if we can look at expanding the scope of Kisan Rail, because in the case of perishables, especially if they need to trans, uh, be transported across large distances, for example, if we need to uh, transport horti produce from Uttar Pradesh to the nearest port, so you either need a refrigerated vehicle, a temperature control vehicle, or Kisan Rail, for example. And Krishi Uran especially, I feel, has a lot of potential in the northeastern states for now. While rail connectivity is still lacking there, I feel Krishi Uran could be reoriented to focus on northeastern states because there's a lot of horticulture production out there and what they lack most is market access. For example, pineapples in Tripura, avocados from Nagaland. These are, in terms of quality, they're at par with international, with imported avocados or pineapples. So we really need to get in, improve the connectivity of these Northeastern markets to the rest of India. And the second point I want to make is promoting sustainable agriculture. So programs for water stressed and rain fed areas need to be launched. And I would like to say that natural farming could be a potential solution here as it requires less water, it requires less, uh, it, it completely eschews the use of chemical inputs so natural farming could probably be one area in water stress areas. And also rationalization of fertilizer prices, this lopsided fertilizer policy that has led to degrading soil health. So we need to work together with states, farmer unions, organizations, fertilizer companies to at least get the ball rolling on rationalization of fertilizer prices so that it's more balanced and it promotes a balanced use of fertilizer rather than urea at present. And again, uh, I want to, as I mentioned in the last slide, promoting digitization of agriculture. So we need to partner with private sector players, food processors, for example, your ITCs and others, 
and research institutes, universities, tech companies to design use case scenarios that leverage frontier technologies for replication across India. So what we can do is that we can institute or announce some sort of pilot projects where we'd be leveraging these frontier technologies such as a blockchain for organic products could be thought of, for example. So these are just some ideas. And finally, I feel rural entrepreneurship is also going to be critical. So one of the key things that came out in our consultation for digitization ag agriculture was how do we get this last mine del delivery to farmers? So one idea was that we need to promote rural entrepreneurship and that will focus on this last mile delivery. So we need to partner with these private sector players, tech companies, and again, relevant ministries, Ministry of Skill Development, for example, to train and mentor these rural entrepreneurs, support them in the creation of these business models where they can provide such farm services to farmers. And now under the new Farm Acts, farm services can be legally Farmers can legally contract these entrepreneurs to provide these farm services, which could range from efficient input management. It could range from, uh, they could connect them to other private sector players. The possibilities are quite endless. So again, the ball needs to start rolling on this. And finally, investments in your overall rural infrastructure, the link roads under PMGSY, digital broadband connectivity, so that they, again, the benefits of the internet and the shared economy reach rural India and provide avenues for income generation for farmers. So that's all I have to say for now. And thank you. Thank you, Ranveer. I think it was uh, very, very good to have those slides to get the perspective from Niti Ayok. Um, uh, we are already almost one hour, 15 minutes into the session, but we have a lot of questions from the participants and I'd like to bring in some uh, questions from my end, but also like to summarize what we have already heard. I think we have heard so many diverse issues, diverse topics and a lot has been covered. So I'll start from uh, what Dr. Shekhar said and just to raise a couple of points there. Uh, definitely uh, credit is something that, that is very important for the agriculture farm sector. And Shekhar, uh, being on the field, what I've recently learned, because I had always worked on the crop sector, but not on the livestock. For the livestock owners, credits are available to buy their more livestocks. But if they're landless, then there's no issue. Collateral is a very big issue. Government of India need to see how landless farmers, landless livestock owners, either it's fishery or small ruminants or large ruminants, what can be the alternative collateral that they can put in? So, uh, so uh, this uh, NDDB is doing a complete range of survey where they're tagging cows, etc. And right now, the purpose of that whole procedure is to do a census of our livestock. But what I feel is that can also be a, a, that, a, a kind of a database that can be used for collateral purposes. There are a lot of blockchain-based models that can be used to bring in the livestock of the existing farmer as a collateral for the new livestock that they want to bring in. So new innovations uh, we need to bring into our policy in terms of we have these policies, but implementation is always a challenge. What innovation can we bring into the uh, uh, 
into the policy implementation. Uh, my, another thing is we are talking about Grameen agri-markets and you said we are only 10% in terms of the actual markets as suggested by MS Swaminathan committee. But I, I'm not very sure or I'm puzzled who are going to be the buyers if we have those many panchayats equivalent to the Grameen agri-markets. We are not talking about producers being the purchasers themselves. Uh, the third thing is PM Kisan, the, and I think this also question from from lot of uh, participants. We need to be realistic, which you already have said that we need to have studies which need to make it realistic. But we also need to be targeted. Are we are we just realistic? So there are two parts of it. One is six thousand rupees good enough? Is twelve thousand good enough, or is fifteen thousand good enough? But giving six thousand to all the farmers is good enough, or should we think whom we need to target about these? PM Kisan direct payments. Similarly, uh, similarly, when we're talking about, uh, and this is more general, there was a question also, when we're talking about fertilizer subsidy, we have made it more targeted, or we have made it a direct, uh, direct transfers. Should fertilizer subsidies or other subsidies also go to only farmers who cannot afford it? Or should it go to all the farmers altogether? And then definitely when we're talking about agriculture is tax-free, there was a question from the participant, should tax-free uh, tax incomes of agriculture, should some thought be also coming in there, people earning beyond a certain incomes, should they be brought into the agriculture uh, taxation programs? Uh, Dr. Shekhar, I, uh, Dr. Sharma, I think uh, 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 you have very well laid down that trade and infrastructure are the priorities. I would just like to quote that recently, uh, when we're talking about roads as a very important in part of the infrastructure, earlier, two, two decades back, when researchers were doing regression models, roads were used as an infrastructure proxy. And it would said that when roads would come in, more markets would come closer to the farmers. But recent studies have showed in the roads that bring the infrastructure closer to the farmer, the same roads take away the farmers as migratory labors outside. And therefore, there's a lot of paradoxical things that infrastructure also bring in, especially the roads. About wastage, I think when we're quoting the numbers 30 to 35%, that's largely for the perishables. For food grains, etc., the average wastage is very uh, less than that, and Avinash would know better numbers out there. And also, as we have mechanized more, the, the wastages have gone down in mostly all the sectors. Uh, in terms of the, the very, very good point that I would like to take away from your talk is awareness of policy environment. And I think that is something that needs to come in in terms of communications uh, between the policymakers and the farmer at a more disaggregated level. Uh, Avinash, like always, your points are, are amazing. And I would just like to reiterate, uh, we should talk, not talk about hashtag Atmanirbhar Krishi, we should actually talk about Atmanirbhar Krishak. And I think then a lot of confusion that you already have might be sorted out. And uh, sustainability, I think sustainability is a great agenda that we should put up in terms of priority. And that is uh, that can lead to a lot of other things that can be categorized under sustainability, as Niti Ayog is talking about natural farming. Uh, and uh, of course, research and development budget is the priority. And no doubt that rather than only talking about investments and subsidies, research and development focus is still had been lacking in most of the projects uh, budgets. And I am not sure how much it is going to come into this budget. Um, 
to, uh, coming to uh, Coming to Ranveer, I think, uh, yeah, you have very well put uh, things into perspective. Uh, but when you're talking about SPOs, uh, we know that a lot of these SPOs, although they are registered, but many of them are defunct. And then women SPOs is something that also need to come in from SSGs to federations of SSGs and, and gender. We haven't talked anything about gender. So let me bring in that perspective over here. When we're talking about livestock, it's basically women. When we're talking about agricultural laborers, a lot of part is women. And, and, um, and farmers, when talking about farmers, we actually tend to forget women because they don't participate into the marketing activities as much. They participate into the agricultural hardcore field activities. So women FPOs is something I'm sure you might have missed in your presentation, but it is there. Then uh, direct benefit transfers, all the programs and schemes that through Niti Aayog had been piloted, many of them have not actually worked very well. So my question is, is Niti Aayog trying to see if those programs have not worked well in the pilot stages? Have they tried to scrap them or are they trying to renovate them based on the research because right now what i understand niti ayog is more of a research think tank than actually a policy maker so they're policy influencer and not policy makers uh, also uh agri tech startup programs i think all those startup programs that uh niti ayog has been funding and awarding and everything that's a very great initiative for the young people to come up. But uh, what I sometimes see is that when you're saying price model predictions is given to Microsoft, I'm sure you have agricultural experts over there because running a price model for a Tesla or, or a computer is very different from running it for agricultural sector commodities and all the commodities and all the states, especially for India, it is, it is extremely diverse and it needs a lot of customization and uh, sometimes it happens that the models and numbers are run and when it comes to the agricultural fraternity we realize that a lot of minuteness that you need there and uh, several international organizations over years have also amended their models based on the inputs which are much more local in terms of the agroclimatic zones in terms of the soil type in terms of the weather variability that is coming in and even if you consider a crop like wheat or paddy across north india to two states like bihar the sowing season the sowing weeks itself varies so much that can it can be a one month season starting from punjab going to orissa and and therefore the variation to that micro level is over there and uh, um, so uh, so for me overall what i feel is that uh, what we have seen over years is that our reforms and our budgets have moved moved away have tried to move from just the food security and production and productivity aspect to more into marketing and i think that was what we all had been always always advocating that we need not only enhance productivity and production but also look into where that excess production and productivity and the crop will be marketed so it's more efficient processes that can come in and and i definitely would like to uh, pose this general question to all the panelists will this budget do we see this budget trying to balance or have a good balance between what will keep the farmers happy and what the future of the indian agriculture should be in terms of the transformation in terms of digitalization in terms of fpos in terms of uh, more reforms of direct 
credit benefits. And I'm sure, Avinash, when you said more subsidies should be given, farmers are going to be very happy. But the logic that you gave there in terms of restructuring the uh, subsidies or the total amount of the subsidies, I think that is actually the crux of when we say subsidies. And, and I think that is a point that should get across at least through this uh, forum of discussion that um, we are, economists are not against subsidies. It is the rational use and the investments, returns that come out from the subsidies that, that we might be more interested in. So uh, I think Arjun, we can have, uh, or, or may I invite Dr. Neelam to uh, give her uh, points over here? Or ma'am, if you want to raise any comments or any question to our panelists, Dr. Patel? Ma'am was, yes, ma'am is here. Ma'am, can you hear us? Uh, yes, I am. Uh, are you able to hear me? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, uh, okay, okay. Uh, in fact, uh, the, all the our panelists have put the total uh, agriculture scenario in such a manner that we all are agree. Yeah, because all the people are having the lots of experience of working with the people, the farmers. So it the all the points I think which are emerges they are based on their experience only. And Surbhi has um, uh, very brightly has um, uh, consolidated all the issues and the uh, agenda which were flagged by our eminent panelists. And I would like to request you to, uh, Arjunji, if you can put all these agenda and points which are emerging from today's discussion in one place, and you can circulate to all the panelists and to us also, because it will help us. We know it, that these are the things. And basically, uh, this uh, uh, the point which came out, I think, from all the presentation, that we have to put our emphasis and our value addition to develop our safety value chain and to make our agriculture sustainable. These are two or three, and then uh, uh, technological intervention, particularly digitization in agriculture and development of the technology which are suitable for our small and marginal farmers and the China's model. China is having small, small machineries which are suitable for the very small landholders, but somehow we, are, we don't have and this is the need of the hour. And I think uh, our uh, Ranveer has put up the different initiatives that this government is taking. And our aim is, of course, uh, I agree with the panelists that you may not be able to do the double income, but I think from our assessment, if we can develop the value chain, then uh, we'll be able to uh, not only double, but triple also the farmers and to put the emphasis to dairy sector yes we are agree that dairy sector we could not do much that is why we have created a different ministry so that we can address and the pradhan mantri krishi sampada yojana scheme for the total food park and the support to our young entrepreneurs so these are the some initiatives we are taking but of course we are having our neighbor china is a country which is putting a lot of emphasis on its export also. It is doing import, yeah, that is correct, but uh, their productivity is two to three times higher than us. And if you see they are in the difficult terrain, they are getting very good high quality vegetables and flowers. But in our, our difficult terrain, like Northeastern and Himalayan region, we are not able to utilize those areas. So therefore we have to do 
uh, all these interventions in our agriculture also. And uh, whatever the early panelists have um, uh, covered in their uh, address, I have, uh, in fact, I was planning to go to Rasawa TV, but I could not go because of some, uh, this, this program. So I have listened everything very carefully. And uh, yes, in most of the issues, we are agree. And uh, this, this one panelist told to increase the budget in the agriculture sector. Sir, you may be agree with us that in last five years or six years, we are increasing our agriculture budget. But uh, of course, we have to do much more for R&D sector. And I think in R&D sector, like our developed countries are doing, we have to have the participation from public, this private industry and the public also. So that we can issue, the, we can address some of the some of the very pertinent issues. We should not depend on the only the uh, this um, government support. But is here the uh, private participation is also needed, and we have to work in the holistic manner, not in silos. So this is the need of the hour. And with all this, I would like to thank uh, organizer for giving me the opportunity and for bringing such a knowledgeable person in one forum and where we could address some of the very pertinent and important issues. And with this, uh, thank you. Thank you once again. And I think we can work together and I would, uh, would like to request Ranveer to have touch, uh, have discussion with you and so that you can develop the one uh, this, uh, points uh, paper, which are emerges from uh, today's discussion. With that, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Patel, for joining and uh, sharing and listening to all of us. Uh, we will consolidate everything and uh, many uh, important dimensions also coming up, especially the structural part, uh, the structural change in economy, because uh, in India, agriculture, you know, 25 crore, 30 crore people uh, there in the employment, almost half. And now India also have challenge that the productivity is not high there. So where do you move? So seasonal migration and other things also becoming so important because of low level of uh, 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 our equilibrium also in terms of per capita. We are also looking at growth, but I think that's doable if we if we really go in right direction. India really has a very high growth potential, especially the upcoming areas and if we have things in the place. So uh, uh, we will go to the next round. Uh, to uh, our panelists for uh, two to three minutes to give their remarks to touch upon any of the issues if we have left or uh, uh, any anything of that sort. So, Professor Shekhar, would you like to go first? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, a very nice uh, comments and questions from the floor as well as uh, Dr. Surbhi Mittal. Uh, let me take up the first uh, important issue of rural uh, agri-markets. Actually, <clears throat> right now, if we see, there are nearly around 2,300 uh, principal market yards, APMC markets, and also around 4,500 uh, sub-market yards. So these, uh, the average density in India about of a market is, about, it is, it is covering around uh, 480 square kilometers. Whereas the ideal, what the norm, as laid down by the uh, Swaminathan Commission is, which is very uh, reasonable, is that a farmer should have a market in five kilometers radius. So which, which makes it around 80 square kilometers. So right now it is 480 square kilometers. So 
the name that he has given for eight days. So even that is uh, not achievable or doable in any time soon. So right now, the next alternative is whatever we have, the kind of rural agri markets right now, around 22,000 or so, the, the uh, infrastructure and the facilities should be developed. In fact, the government has realized the importance of these markets because these markets actually cater to a list uh, group of villages. It is not just one village that the farmers are uh, using these markets to sell for. So it's not as if the farmers of one village are selling to other villagers in the, uh, uh, in the same uh, village. So uh, what this basically means is that some farmers produce one commodity, others produce some other commodity. So they all actually meet and it's a sort of a trading uh, forum for them. So in that sense, actually, this is since it is very close by to the point of production, this will give them the best outlet to market their produce. So these markets, these rural agri-markets are important in that context. So uh, the point is 250,000 is not uh, achievable because there are so many gram panchayats. So whatever we have, 22,000, out of them, even if we take 10,000 and try to improve the infrastructure, that will go a long way in improving uh, marketing channels for the farmers. So these small and marginal farms. Yeah, the point about uh, livestock collateral for landless livestock uh, producers, I think that's a very important point. Actually, that, that's a major constraint in uh, access to credit by this, uh, this sector, livestock sector, particularly the landless uh, livestock creators. So that, that's a very important point and that, that needs to be addressed. Coming to PM Kisan, I think targeting is not a very good strategy because uh, as of today, there are there's more than 87% of our farmers are small and marginal. Okay, So the rest is only 13%. So if you keep the minimum amount at a, uh, at a, at a very minimal level, uh, then actually it, it, the fiscal burden will not be that much. But targeting, once you increase, uh, introduce targeting, then it may become completely, you know, your uh, costs of supervision and also implementation will go, go up enormously. So I am not for targeting. If we, Let it be universal because in, in any case, there are only 13 or 14% of and uh, these small amounts may not make much difference to them, and they may or may not actually avail of those uh, <clears throat> whatever amount is given under PM Kisan. Then coming to what is the amount that needs to be given under PM Kisan, my uh, suggestion would be to go for a systematically determined amount. Right now it is 6,000. Where the 6,000 uh, figure has come, it, it's not clear. Uh, because uh, if you look at the cost of cultivation data and you actually analyze for the major crops, it, it the actual amount comes to nearly two and a half times of this. And even if the government does not give the entire two and a half, uh, that is uh, the quantum entire uh, quantum to the farmers, they can actually make fifty percent of the cost of production, and that that should be. Uh, good enough, I think. 
So once you reduce the amount, maybe more increase from 6,000, but not uh, meeting the entire cost of uh, cultivation also, that will reduce the fiscal burden. So with that, I'll uh, stop and uh, come in with other uh, questions. Thank you. Sir, I'll just take this opportunity also to, because of one issue really coming up also because uh, uh, our agri census and other data also we have uh, 15 crore, 16 crore number of uh, cult uh, including number of cultivators also it goes to uh, uh, there. Then there is also this question coming of exclusion of beneficiaries, and sir, you uh, really highlighted this point of uh, uh, especially in our rural scenario that targeting won't be effective much. In urban scenario, it does uh, mean something. Uh, uh, so, do you think the PM Kisan? Uh, because Professor Santosh Mehrata was also highlighting that uh, also to non-farm households in rural households also we should give a 6,000 support or 500 per month. Uh, so what is your view regarding that? Should we also extend PM Kisan to non-farm households in, in rural sector? Will it be of any use for those cultivators or those who are getting excluded from this scheme? And uh, uh, really the it has to be a systematic manner for the uh, amount increase. Uh, but I think, Professor uh, Shekhar, are you able to hear us? Your video is kind of frozen. Uh, nonetheless, okay, we'll we'll get in touch. Yes. Uh, so uh, let us come to uh, Dr. Sharma. Dr. Sharma, what do you think that in in your view, last year really we had uh, Ministry of Agriculture's budget 1.5 lakh crores. And uh, this year also, we had this <coughs> infra push, NIP push, a, a lot of investment also coming. NABAD also have through their own fund for housing. We have a national housing uh, fund now, NHF now, which have 25 crore, 30,000 crore. We are putting in resources from uh, a various channel in a systematic way, uh, year by year. And uh, Ministry of Rural Development also had uh, around 1.5 lakh. So it comes to around 3 lakh crores. What do you think that uh, our agri budget should look like uh, our Prime Minister is also having a lot of focus on PM Kisan. I'm sure that uh, it, uh, the more benefit could be given to more of rural household, those who are also landless or are in other activities. What are your views? Yes. So please unmute yourself, yes. Yes, my connotation is that uh, there, there must be more and more focus on the uh, rural households. And I agree with the uh, Dr. Vinash's point that there must be focus on the R&D activity, more and more innovation can provide uh, more lucrativeness to the agriculture sector in India because it's not the investment that the uh, private sector should come forward and invest more in agriculture sector. This should be supported by R&D activity to become more and more innovative uh, and to connect with the global supply chains, global value chains and to participate more in the global marketplace. And one point I missed in my earlier discussion that uh, there is no price discovery in the agriculture uh, markets because your onions can be sold at the rate of 5 and uh, 100 also. So why this so much variation in the agriculture uh, commodity prices, uh, if something happens, if something, if, if there is uh, volatility in the stock market or in any, the, then there is a lot of discussion. Uh, and uh, and policymakers come forward that why this is happening that uh, uh, markets are decelerating from this so and so level and now the gain 
markets are surging. But in the agriculture markets, which are the uh, for the livelihood and for the uh, major consumption uh, items, why the uh, volatility happens and uh, uh, no price discovery uh, till now after these so many years that your onions and potatoes can be sold at the rate of two three or uh, even at the ninety rupees and hundred rupees. So this is too much uh, variation there that that has to be uh, controlled so that the actual benefit is because in volatility nobody can earns. Only, mm -hmm. only the mediators earns in the volatility. Like in the stock market, on the only speculators make money. Investors are not able to earn money in the volatility scenario. So in the same line, I believe the volatility is not good for the farmers. That is good for the uh, speculators only, those who are coding and uh, uh, making money from the agriculture commodities. So this is a major concern that has to be focused. And I believe uh, this will provide a, a good strength to the agriculture markets going forward. Thank you. I think very pertinent points that in fact uh, that has been one of the demand assured prices. Uh, so this uh, I would say what sir is raising that uh, we should uh, look into this volatility and come to uh, some kind of stabilization so that uh, uh, everyone is assured. Uh, so uh, really going to Avinash sir. No, I am I am not in favor of that. There must be price fixation, but but I am not in favor of this extreme volatility. Yes, there is a lot of difference in rupees five and hundred. So prices uh, may vary, but not in this extent that uh, there is thousand uh, percent volatility in the prices. Thank you, thank you, sir. Uh, so, Avinash, sir, please unmute yourself. Ah, thank you. Do you want to go back to He just said that he's uh, phone dis got disconnected. Yeah, so there were some questions I didn't have for you. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll go. Professor Shekhar, would you like to continue from where? Yes. Yeah, yeah sorry, I, I lost the connection, so I could not get the question. Could you could someone repeat? I, I really thought to just ask you that uh, since we have PM Kisan and there is also the issue of uh, identification of beneficiaries and really targeting in, in the rural setting for really farmers doesn't make sense because of the 9010 and a lot of rent seeking can also come up. Uh, because if you do that, so, but uh, many of there are also uh, non-farmer uh, households also, those who are in uh, in need. So do you think our rural economy, those who are uh, agricultural laborers, because we have Narega and other things also, but do you think PM Kishan should also extend to them? Because uh, that will also, uh, because the numbers there is, we have 11 crore now beneficiaries and the cultivators real number is 14, 15 crores. And uh, so there is always this, you know, uh, how do we identify them or, uh, or that? And there is so a lot of migration and other things also coming. So if we also give this minimum to them, I think the, the uh, uh, it will not be more than 20 to 30% more than what the budget would outlay. Uh, what was your view uh, regarding the same? Yes. That's a very good question. Actually, actually, Professor Santosh, Santosh Mehrotra sir really highlighted this thing that, uh, and uh, he, even he said that even he doesn't have any rationale for this 500 or 6,000, but he said that since the government is accepting it, so uh, uh, agree on this only and give it to the rural households. What implication would it have for our uh, agricultural sector and rural economy is uh, just a short question. See, the basic, uh, yeah, it's a very good question, basically because uh, there are so many uh, agriculture labor households, there are other rural households which are not into agriculture, who are distressed, who need 
kind of support. That's what you're hinting at. So uh, PM Kisan, as it is designed, it is only for cultivators who have some land and who cultivate the land and uh, do agriculture. So in that sense, actually, the Odisha's Kalia program is a much more comprehensive in its coverage. So it, it, it covers landless labor also, it covers business also. There are so many other aspects. How to actually scale up PM Kisan is something that, that needs to be thought about, one. Number two, as for fiscal burden that it would put, uh, recently we had this uh, COVID uh, thing. There were a lot of migrants, uh, reverse migration into. So if you just look at the numbers at that time, and uh, suppose giving them say 2,000 or 3,000 rupees direct payments, if you calculate that, it, it, it was not coming to a lot. In fact, uh, we, in one of my uh, newspaper articles, I did uh, provide those uh, estimates. It comes to less than 0.5% of the GDP. Actually, if you give some minimal amount of 3,000 or something, but that's a one-time payment. So if you really want to give uh, some kind of uh, direct transfer, right, direct income to all these households over a period of time, then that, that needs to be worked out. In fact, the government has to uh, indulge in that exercise. They have to come up with proper estimates. What to do. But yes, your point is well taken that those segments of rural population also need to be taken, uh, into, uh, taken care of. That's very important. Number two, why I say direct uh, income is uh, direct income transfers are important is that in the recent context in the uh, these farm laws the major objection to the farm laws or the major concern about the farm laws is that we have nearly 87 percent of uh, farming community for falling in the marginal and small category and they will be actually at a disadvantage when they actually bargain with these private players or the big private players who come into agriculture sector. That, that was the main concern which has been expressed by many. So these direct payments, which a fixed income transfer, what it does is that the, it, it enables the farmer to have a minimum amount of bargaining power vis-a-vis -vis this. So vis-a-vis uh, -vis these private players, it is not as if he'll stop production. He will be producing something, but at the same time, a part of whatever income he will get from farming, if it is given to him as a direct transfer, one, it will give him some sustenance and also it will allow him to sort of bargain better with the private players. And also he can hold on for some time and he, uh, he will not need to engage in distress sales. That is the first thing. Number two is that through MSP policy, what we are doing is we are distorting the incentives for farmers. So if you give an MSP price, the farmer has to produce that particular crop to get that MSP. So what it does is every farmer will try to produce that. That's why you have so much of rice as Avinash has rightly pointed out. You are actually producing so much rice, then you are exporting that rice, which is basically a water intensive crop and you are actually exporting water. So th this kind of thing is happening because price is a very weak instrument for transferring incomes. Let's get it straight. If your objective is to give income to farmer, give it directly. Don't tamper or don't play around with price. Price is for resource allocation, not for income transfer. That needs to be got. And the sooner the government gets this right, 
better it will be for the boys. Very, very, very nice point, sir. Really, thank you. Uh, Avinash, sir, just uh, uh, coming to you. Sir, our government now also have one push. Uh, Shyama Prasad Mukherjee, uh, urban cluster mission. Now we have more than, uh, identified more than 1,000 cluster having this, our regional and rural focus. And uh, so uh, how do you see this coming up and all these innovative schemes also, in, especially in our subcontinent? Uh, 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 agribusiness or our trade competitiveness, how it is taking shape in your view. And uh, also because uh, Survi ma'am also raised this point that uh, uh, credit is getting uh, hampered and uh, in, in terms of MSMEs also we know uh, that uh, there is a lot of exclusion, a lot of paperwork, not really like ease of doing business. Uh, there has been many improvement, but as Sir was also highlighting, uh, small and marginal farmers, their access to credit. We have KCC and other schemes but still the informality is also sort of there how can government uh, uh, harness technology or institutions agencies uh, to really change the things around uh, also utilizing this pandemic time Abhinash, over to you. Uh, thank you arjun now do you mind if i there were some questions in the chat and i try to answer many of them some i didn't realize and pressed live answering and then i didn't know what that was i should have typed the answer so if i quickly answer those three questions I think okay. I've answered everyone else. Uh, yes. So there's one by Harbhajan Jeet Singh. He's saying that when we talk about agri-trade in India, um, India wants preferential treatment. We are, when we are exporting, major part is going to equal status or lesser developed countries, and very less is exported to richer country. Is it good? I think it's not true. Uh, if you look at it, like I said, our biggest export after rice, um, and that to rice is basmati. So is Dubai equal status or richer? It's richer, right? Um, uh, our second biggest export is fisheries as a category. Most of it is goes to Europe uh, and, and some to the US also. Uh, it's like $6 billion and has been growing. Similarly, animal uh, products like bovine meat that we sell, on paper, all of it goes to Vietnam, a big part, not all. Uh, but from Vietnam, it goes to China. There's some reason why we don't export directly to China. I do not know exactly why. So it's not true. We are exporting to our richer partners too. Of course, we are exporting to Africa and um, and other countries that are similar to us or even poorer. But why do we care? I mean, we should export wherever we can get better market for our, our produce. So I, I do not see that as a big problem. It's true that we should try to diversify our markets that we capture and the product portfolio should also be diversified. That, that secures you against risk. Um, the second was, doesn't uh, India need to spend more on agriculture research? Yes, I, I partly because I'm a researcher, so it's my vested interest, but otherwise too, I think we need to spend a lot more. And here I'll say that after the last finance commission, it's generally believed that ag research is all with center, ICR. ICR is a big player, should remain a big player. But I think our state governments also, instead of only spending money on every news, like we have a biodiversity of subsidies in India, as anyone in Nitya would tell you, let's have some investments too and research would be, especially because there are so much agroclimatic diversity, et cetera. States have their own peculiarities in multiple ways. So state government should also start spending some of their budget on, on, on uh, ag research, supporting SAUs. So many new varieties have come from state agriculture universities. They do good job. I think they, that is one point I would like to add over and all. Uh, uh, Darshana Priya had a question on Vietnam has for the first time imported Indian rice. It's true. So Thailand had drought. So India is the largest rice exporter, Thailand, Vietnam and Thailand are often second and third. They had droughts, um, especially Thailand. So that's one so in, in rice market. Second, generally, 
after 2008 uh, crisis when food prices went up commodity prices have been quite low and stable maybe the commodity cycle is changing it's not only for food commodities even non food commodities despite slowdown in the global economy uh, petroleum is different steel and cement prices are also high so it's possible that commodity prices are going up and next year or year to uh, next we'll see rising rice and wheat prices and then a lot of complaints that we are hearing i am also not a big supporter of msp procurement that will become moot but then you will see that start seeing that our msps are even lower than the world prices that happens all the time with pulses and other things so we'll see i if i could predict i would become a billionaire so it's not a prediction or forecast but it seems like commodity prices are going up and vietnam's importing rice and thailand importing rice could be a uh, could be a part of that those were the questions i think that were not addressed to anyone uh, so i just decided to answer the ones that i have avinash i also wanted to ask that uh, because of globalization also now globalization like solar and also other experiences also uh, from uh, palm oil and other things prices are also crashing <laughs> that thing is so palm oil we had uh, high prices for a short time and then it came down um i do not understand i'm not I, i have a friend who is oil trader whom i talk to regularly but i haven't talked to him recent time so can't answer your question um it's possible so palm oil prices temporarily went up because one of the main islands of indonesia and one large plantation in malaysia were locked out uh, because of covid and they went out of the production and then they came back in also for a short while india stopped importing from malaysia because of their comments on uh, what happened in kashmir our government policy in kashmir so all of that i think getting resolved out probably that's why the surplus because the trees were still giving their berries right the palm berries uh, so maybe there was a surplus i do not know for sure so that crash may be because of uh, because of that reason um, uh, that reason i'm not i'm not uh, sure on that on your question on samaprasad mukherjee scheme uh, I, i i apologize i haven't followed the scheme closely plus um, my sense from looking at as ranugir was talking about last year's budget there's so many but um, large schemes especially when someone was talking about targeting schemes i think one region that government of india should definitely target and is the pictured excluded region is the central indian tribal well that extends from eastern part of gujarat all the way to northeast assam uh, it's the least irrigated area in india with very high rainfall pretty decent rainfall there were a number of schemes launched last year atal bhujal yojana is one kusum had some focus in that area but if you look at the actual utilization so in my case given that there has so many schemes in india i have stopped paying attention to allocations and i start looking at what was the last year's utilization you know and the utilizations have been so low for some of these schemes and there i wouldn't blame only government of india i think state government many of these schemes have some 70 30 type sharing arrangements or actual implementation can only be done by the one of the questions was why is pm kisan being underutilized and i was trying to respond west bengal hasn't listed for it in bihar uh, the last mile problems and farmer registration like my i am from bihar my family cannot get it because we haven't paid our land revenue we haven't paid land revenue because the karmachari is impossible to find right so there are a lot of these uh, things uh, same for narega someone was saying allocation has gone down actually allocation went down the utilization went up covid narega became a big support for covid so more than allocation look at utilization someone was saying again in the chat that far, uh, fertilizer subsidy was reduced why cost of cultivation will go up no allocation was reduced but fertilizer subsidy is not in government's control especially urea subsidy 
the price is fixed if the quantity goes up and world prices remain high uh, farmers will end up using a, a higher value of urea so pay attention more to what was the utilization of the allocations last year than the new so i i normally try to give a year or two uh, before i form an opinion of an scheme sometimes you can comment on the scheme's design itself but there's so many because agriculture is a concurrent subject with a role for states i think it pays to look at what is happening to the to the utilization of i have two last comments on uh, one thing that you uh, you and uh, shekhar were discussing about um, paying uh, farm laborers also bringing them under under the net of uh, pm kisan so i think that if you go by gandhi's talisman farm laborers in india there are more farm laborers than farmers in india that's one second is there someone being a casual laborer you don't need to know any other data on them you already know they are poor right 100% right almost all of them are poor if they don't have so yes by that scale you should do that but you know what covid has revealed that urban poor in india are more vulnerable we track their consumption expenditure after lockdown their consumption expenditures went further down than the last time so then if you start expanding it starts looking at universal basic income right which uh, a lot of economists abhijit banerji um ghatak uh, all of them have argued my only trouble with even pm kisan is one pm kisan only recognized as shekhar mensel land owners two is they are not coming at the we are we want income transfers shekhar's logic was completely on the point the problem is these are additional subsidies instead of reorganizing some other subsidies and then like it's just adding subsidy burden while economy is not growing that fast if your gdp growth is not good you will not be able to sustain these subsidies for uh, for long so one we need overall economic growth ag and non ag two is these subsidies should come at the cost of some of the distortionary price distortionary subsidies that shikhar said that's not happening even kalia or telangana which was the leader in having this kind of income transfer schemes telangana subsidies have gone through the roof you know they have that mission kakatiya they have uh, free electricity they it's a, it's like i said biodiversity scheme that would not work out eventually you will reach your breaking point your fiscal uh, things as uh, dr sharma was mentioning so my bigger problem is I, i think maybe ubi is a good idea the problem is our political we haven't been managed we haven't managed to strike a political strike a political bargain where we'll remove some of these middle class subsidies like my parents get subsidy when they travel in ac why why should we be subsidizing ac travel for senior citizen i don't know or uh, so mean there are many of these subsidies unless we retire them and bring that money here uh this just would or our economy grows at 12% then you can absorb anything 8% to 10% if neither is happening right so i think this expansion much as it is required and it would be fair would be very very difficult to sustain and this government one thing you have to give it to them they have tried to be fiscally prudent so my guess is we won't see a big expansion in these things the only reason we are able to sustain is that we are lucky that gas prices are low petroleum prices had that gone up you would have not seen these subsidy schemes or fiscal prudence so sir, i don't know i am not very hopeful i'll stop there i sorry for the long answer yeah sir, i was saying also the monsoon was good yeah monsoon is one but petrol price has been uh, good for last 6 7 years if uh-huh. that goes up a lot of our uh, problems would start coming in uh, and then we will not be able to sustain this subsidy so the brazil, brazil has this thing because they have this uh, cash transfer scheme and their their the the amount was really high but nevertheless us now is also uh, making provisions to give 1200 1600 per month 
to yeah, but US trades it in own money. We don't, right? We trade in dollars. Yes. So US has a city that we don't. Even in US, they, they are only paying to people who have been paying taxes and they have been paying to people who have less than $25,000 income in their income tax return. So it's not just cap-free income to everybody. And US pay taxes uh, uh, as much as our economy. No, 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 people. So my yes, son who's yes, a student gets the benefit of Trump and Biden's uh, subsidy, all these money transfers because he had been paying taxes. Right. Only right. taxpayers are here that if we, some, some criteria have been set in there that they have contributed to the economy and the economy loss has been because of unemployment and therefore, like some article I was reading today, they were saying that people who have lost jobs should get some tax benefit uh, in, in the income tax returns this year. And Arjun, let us not compare ourselves to the US uh, developed world countries uh, in the world, Japan, US, etc. Something has happened to macroeconomy that I don't fully understand. They print any amount of money, run full deficit, are at full employment. The Phillips curve has gone. Like the, uh, if you're full employment, then inflation goes up. Inflation is just remains at zero, no matter how much money, the amount of money that Europe, EU and US has pumped in. Uh, and it has done nothing to their inflation. It still remains essentially zero. You're getting negative interest in their economy. Our inflation started looking up just last year when there were some vegetable prices went up. We can, and they, especially US trades its own currency, right? We trade in dollars, right? So we cannot match them, right? Our bond prices would start going up, will be uh, declared junk. I don't think it's that easy to expand our stimulus. I would be favoring in, uh, fiscal stimulus, but uh, we have to think a lot more. We cannot compete with the US in that, that respect or most other OECD countries. We Mr. Speaker has been uh, raising his hand. And uh, just for the record, we have around, Professor Shekhar, please unmute yourself. Yes, it's on. Yes. And we have around nine crore pan cards in India, nine, 10 crores now. So how, ma'am, Survi, ma'am, we will go by this tax, our structure, you know, uh, Shekhar, sir, please. Yeah, I just wanted to add to uh, some of the points that uh, Avinash raised earlier. He spoke about predictability in uh, our trade policies is a must. I fully agree with that. Not only with the trade policy, but also with General ag policy also should be there. For example, let me give you one simple example. Uh, we started ENAM around three years ago with a lot of fanfare. Okay. And ENAM is supposed to be a market-based price discovery mechanism. And then within a year, because for whatever reason, the ENAM was thought to be not working. And then we went for this 50% over and above the cost of cultivation, the PM Asha program and all that thing was started. So from a market-based system to completely public support, public price support program. And after that, when that did not work out, then we went in for PM Kisan, direct, a bit of direct benefit transfer. Then after COVID, when we saw that the markets really need to be, then now these farm loss. So what I'm trying to say is basically there has to be some kind of predictability and consistency in policy. The policy should be thought through. What is that we want to do? That is the first thing. Number two, rationalization of all price-based uh, support systems because they actually distort production, the marginal production and marginal production in turn will uh, provide incentives and disincentives to producers. So we should not go for this price-based. In fact, uh, Avinash is very right. I fully agree with that. We should slowly shift to this direct 
benefit transfers and also rationalize all these price-based things. You have to cut down slowly all of them. Uh, I don't know how they, that can be done. The political acceptability is extremely difficult to achieve, but that the bullet needs to be beaten. That's uh, Ranveer, can you just give your, uh, he has to leave. So Ranveer, can you give your just couple of minutes for you to? Uh, yeah, sure. Thank you. Yes, yeah, sorry everyone actually had another call lined up at seven. <clears throat> so yeah, just in uh, my closing remarks, Dr. Subi had a few points on the pilots. Yes, exactly. I mean, the pilots, what the inefficiencies in the system and the problems in the delivery, they come out of these pilots. So we definitely try and take in the learnings from those pilots that haven't done well and try to redesign those pilots. And on gender, I completely agree. The thrust needs to be on uh, female uh, labor force participation in FPOs. And as for price prediction, definitely we are working with agri experts. I mean, we have Dr. Neelam Patel, who's driving the exercise. And we also have our in-house domain experts and Microsoft and these other tech companies. They've also brought in startups who are working in the agri tech space. So we have domain expertise and we are trying to localize these price models to local conditions. And we're starting off with a few select states and select geographies. And then we're going to try and scale it up and see what sort of data we need and at least have a sort of a platform where we can get these sort of things going. And in the end, I just want to say that I guess the twin goals in front of India for now and the next 20 years are going to be increasing productivity while maintaining sustainability. So that is going to be the key challenge that we have going forward. And any of our initiatives now will need to take into account the effect of impact of sustainability and climate change. And change also will need to come right from the farm level. So what I said was more, first more investments in agri research and development, looking at more climate change uh, <clears throat> uh, varieties that are able to react well to climate change are adapt and mitigate the effects and also extension services where we move to more eff efficient inputs also. So a large reason why a fertilizer subsidies bill can also come down due to more efficient fertilizer use and more efficient doses of fertilizers. And if we shift to let's say natural farming and other forms of organic farming, again, a lot of the fertilizer subsidies and all these subsidies will indirectly be reduced by reducing the demand for these sort of subsidies as well. So I feel keeping our focus on sustainability, change at the farm level and also investments, particularly in partnership with the private sector in the cold chain, especially. And by cold chain, I don't just mean cold storages, but also backhouses, refrigerated vehicles, and also Kisan Rail is an opportunity. Krishi Yodan is another opportunity. So getting our agri-logistics up and running, connecting farmers to markets, bringing in sustainability, and also leveraging frontier technologies to solve these dual issues is the way forward, at least not for the next year, but at least for the next few four, five years, this can be the policy agenda. And the budget can be a first step in moving towards this new policy agenda. And I mean, yes, just uh, also let me just for the deliberation, because uh, uh, as Professor Shekhar also highlighted uh, that uh, uh, rural agri markets and uh, really not penetrating. So that is why I was mentioning Shamar Prasad Mukherjee, the urban mission. Uh, we also have uh, Digital India. We also have this broadband scheme and uh, we also have uh, a Skill India, Narega, so many schemes. 
So I was really thinking that, uh, uh, you know, why not an integrated post for, you know, all the uh, uh, villages or panchayats uh, to have some agree or, you know, that sort of common service center also that kind of infra push. We have Krishi Mitras also uh, because the know-how is needed at that level and also handholding local language also and many uh, connectivity servers also highlighting, highlighting the grid of five kilometers and, you know, so many uh, typical feasibility and other for women's safety also so uh, uh, these things also because digital india push also we have uh, because uh, uh, as you know information communication also uh, dr sharma was highlighting uh, uh, we would really like to have something coming up also on the ground uh, because th th there has been a lot of disconnect i think in especially in this arena so but uh, having this digital push if we can achieve something of that sort I think really would be helpful because there are also a lot of glitches, device and other problems, but I think it's a great opportunity. So thank you very much, Ranveer, once again. And uh, we are just going to wrap with- uh, having, uh, Thank you, everyone. I'll sign off now. Yeah. Thank you. Just having a way forward round. So I think we should, we should also let Dr. S.P. Sharma wind up his driving and it's not safe driving and talking. So. Okay, sir, is on you. For inviting me, thank you very much, and I look forward uh, for more and more participation and uh, a suggestive note on the same on today's deliberation. So, very very uh, innovative and uh, informative program. So, look forward uh, for more participation. Thank you. Thank okay, you. I also need to look. I have another call. Yes, so let so, us wrap. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks Thank a lot. You. Good, yeah. good to see you, Shekhar. Uh, bye, Dr. Sharma. Bye. Thank you all. Yes. Professor Shekhar, would you like to have some uh, part, some conclusion or something to as a departing thought on the subject? Yes. Yeah, actually, uh, as of uh, today's uh, discussion, as for today's discussion, Actually, there is very little that uh, can be done in the budget because all said, budget is an accounting exercise. But a broad direction in which the policy is going to move can be given. So in that sense, actually, the government needs to focus on certain key areas, which uh, and they may not make uh, large allocations, but at least in the last year's budget, if you remember, they did sound about these formulas in some sense, bringing out a, bringing about a uh, uh, law which allows interstate trade and other things. Such kind of simple measures can be announced, but nothing more than that can be done in the budget. All the most of the important policy pronouncements are done outside the budget. Having said that, there has to be a comprehensive thinking on where they want to take the agriculture. Like I said, there has to be some predictability or some kind of consistency in policy, what you want to do, whether you want to really have an optimum uh, of public support and market and uh, what kind of uh, the support uh, structure that you want to have on the food economy, what you want to do. That kind of thinking has to come. So that, that needs to be avoided. So this is uh, the only thing. And all the points that have been made by, excellent points made by all the the panelists and also Surbhi and other uh, questioners yourself, uh, those points need to be picked up. Are you planning to prepare a note on this? Yes, sir, we will. Yes. Okay, okay. Yes. I, I would love to uh, have a copy of that. Okay. 
Yeah, and I think uh, Dr. Neelam has already asked for a formal note. So Arjun, we should on priority send it to her. We can quickly edit. And Arjun is very good in all of this. And for all the lectures, he do bring out uh, articles over the social media as well, which gives it more stability and credential in terms of written uh, note. Uh, uh, just as closing by, I'm looking at some of the questions over here. And I think most of the trade questions has been answered by Avinash. But uh, uh, there's a sentiment, usually sentiments from the participants that uh, agriculture is poor and we cannot do anything about the farming community. And I think it's not the case. If you look into numbers, uh, farm incomes have also increased over time. And uh, uh, it, so, so the feeling, what I remember, what 20 years back, we would have been traveling to the fields and we would see the condition of the farmers. Now, when we see the condition of the farmers, and I'm not talking about Punjab and Haryana farmers, we're talking about Bihar and Odisha and Eastern UP, the conditions have improved. Per capita incomes have also improved. Definitely, we need to go much, much ahead into make their income sustainable and to make them better livelihood so that they can have additional income for health and education of children and other things that uh, they should get. But but it's not that. Uh, and, and I think another sentiment, uh, Shekhar, if you can point out to that is that uh, uh, everybody keeps saying agriculture is a poor, bad business activity. And still we know the poorest of the country are occupied with this business activity. Um, I always feel that entrepreneurship is what is required in agriculture sector also. And therefore, rather than just depending on what government is giving in, we should be open, farmers should be open towards, towards um, more of the innovative measures or marketing things that have government has brought in. And definitely they are most of the time constrained because marketable surpluses, they do not have enough marketable surplus. Therefore farmers, uh, therefore collective action or group action or FPOs was brought in with a uh, was brought in with a core idea that small farmers can bring in their small marketable surpluses and they're able to sell at a much better rate. So even if the income generated or the profit generated because of it is smaller, but still it will be better than the incomes they have been raising earlier. Uh, and, uh, so the sentiment that that they they are bad entrepreneurs or they are they can never earn profit. Uh, what do you think about that? No, I think uh, there is a lot of scope uh, for them to uh, really. Uh, get a decent income out of uh, farming, provided they have avenues for marketing. What you said is very right. Government is making a lot of efforts, but having said that, if a farmer has very small marketable surplus, if he has any. So that marketable surplus, he normally wants to dispose of immediately after the harvest because he needs to, he needs cash for his uh, next season and also for his meeting his consumption requirements. So in that context, there are two things that become very clear. One. He should be able to market his produce immediately in the vicinity where he can get a decent price without actually having to share that price with some middleman or who takes it to a far off market. So that means in that sense, a market close by in the closer vicinity will help him. One. Number two, if he is given a ready credit for consumption purposes, if you see actually most of the credit from the institutional sources is given for the production purposes not for so much for consumption. So most of the small and mine farmers, if you look at the uh, indebtedness of the farmers and the data, 
60% of that indebtedness is on account of meeting the consumption requirement for say marriages and uh, yeah. some functions in the home. So yeah. that consumption credit is something that is missing in our credit system. So that consumption credit, if that is uh, brought into our credit uh, structure, that is the second thing. The third, what I'm saying is basically that some benefit transfer, not exactly full cost of cultivation, but 50% of it is given to him in one go beforehand. And then, then he'll have some cash in hand so that, that he can wait for a better price and he can... So all these, some even if he doesn't have access to info, institutional source, then he can hold out for a slightly longer period of time. So all these things have to go hand in hand. So providing a market close by, credit, and then some amount of direct. So these are the things that we can make uh, farmers I and mean, farming a little more viable, if not completely lucrative. But That's certainly there is. It's insurance as well. Insurance programs have also not succeeded very well. The, the, uh, actually, Surbhi, uh, I have been seeing study after study after study. Of course, this applies to all the government programs. But uh, every study, what is the reason for not actually availing insurance? Nearly 95% of the farmers reply that they are not aware of any scheme, although yeah. that scheme is actually working. I know, so I know. They, they just don't know what's going on. And also the kind of, if, even for us, we suppose if we have to take uh, advantage of some government scheme for us, how much of paperwork, how much of logistics, and that kind of things, those things have to be handled by someone. I mean, a poor farmer cannot actually go and do all these things. So someone has to be hand-holding. So with, because one, lack of awareness, number two, the kind of transaction costs. Transaction costs. So oh. because of these... The... I think on the social side, what government has done with every account, they have already included some insurance on the social structure side. So when I was working with women uh, in Odisha, they said whenever, because financial inclusion became a compulsion for all the banks, when they were opening up those banks, their personal insurance and their uh, transfers linked to Aadhaar card for the widow woman and everything was instituted along with the financial inclusion. So in that case, a lot of those programs were able to reach to the women farmers, not women overall in the self-help groups because the moment they open up the account, they, they were insured, they were given pensions wherever it was eligible to them. And I think that's where something needs to get linked even for the farmers. So that, that awareness comes in directly linked with something, either link it with subsidy or link it with something. In, in farming, it is the reverse is happening. Earlier, what they did was anyone who, they, whoever takes a loan from the bank for farming, short-term loan or long-term loan, immediately a component of it has to be paid as a premium and then the, the loan, the, it, uh, the entire thing is used to be insured. Now, after a lot of criticism from various quarters that the farmers are being hamstrung by this kind of uh, requirement, so they have made it voluntary. Uh. Now, so nobody is taking insurance for their... Uh, crops so Crop, it, it, yeah. it has become a real uh, it, it's it's yeah there's a problem with the whole uh, idea i think arjun i'll uh, get back to you with a so that you can have some closing remarks and formal word of thanks yes yes ma'am uh, uh, yes ma'am uh, so uh, i would really like to thank everyone for this very Utpal sir is also messaging that uh, uh, a very good uh, discussion, really very nice discussion. Thank you, uh, uh, Shekhar sir, really for uh, uh, 
explaining so many nuances also and leading this discussion. So uh, now I would uh, really like to uh, wrap the session by giving a formal vote of thanks uh, from IMPRI Center for Work and Welfare on this panel discussion today on budget 2021 for Atmanirbhar Krishi towards our new India. And uh, uh, Amrinder Reddy sir also thank you for joining. And uh, to our chair, Dr. Neelam Patel, ma'am, uh, who is Senior Advisor Agriculture at Niti Ayo, we will also submit uh, all the uh, findings of this panel discussion and also uh, taking uh, all the notes and the insights from our experts. And we are really thankful to our panelists, Professor CSC Sekhar sir from Institute for Economic Growth, Dr. S.P. Sarma sir, Chief Economics at, uh, at PhD Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Dr. Vinash Kishore sir uh, uh, from IFPRI, and uh, Ranveer Nagaich, very, very, I would say very good presentation. Thank you, uh, Ranveer, for joining us. And Surbhi ma'am, and uh, all my team members from IMPRI and those who are watching and would watch in future to uh, learn and gain uh, some insights uh, from all our distinguished panelists. Thank you, everyone. And uh, we wish you a good evening and a wonderful year ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Surbhi ma'am. Thank you, Shekhar. Thank you, thank you Shekhar, for staying till the end. Thank you. Thank you, Sarvi. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Thank and you. thank you, participants, for very active question answers. Yes, very, very active. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.